Welcome, welcome. We are here for our Christmas special, which you can tell it's definitely Christmas because of what's behind me. There's no way I put up these Christmas lights in November to make it look Christmassy uh, just because we decided to record our show early like all the uh, professional people do. Um, huge guest this week. We are delighted to welcome Irish Open champion. He's also GUK PT and WSOP runner-up. <laughs> he hasn't won any of them. Sky Poker Ambassador, the great... Twitter retweeter of our day, Neil Channing. Welcome to the show. Oh gosh, you you had to get in there with the runner-up business, didn't you? I, I was thinking about that this afternoon actually because I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, I, I expect if we get talking about the World Series at any stage, then, and then it just got me thinking about finishing second and stuff. Yeah, it's too depressing. So sad. So sad. Dara, welcome to you as well. Merry Christmas. Thank you, David. Yeah, you uh, you did you did ask me to make some sort of special effort for Christmas. Yeah, where you are your see, decorations, Dora? I have done none. Yeah, well, I I mentioned this to uh, to my wife that this was the concept for this show, and after <laughs> about a ten minute tirade, what she kept shouting at me, "We don't celebrate Christmas in this house. Christmas is bullshit." <laughs> she did like like the great wife she is. She went off. She rooted all over the house trying to find anything vaguely Christmas. He came back another ten minutes of shouting, saying that there's nothing in the house. So. Uh, I guess I'm cast in the in the role of Christmas. I wish I'd thought of it. I, I I could have popped out for a snowball fight prior to the interview. <laughs> That's it. Look, my my my, my uh, lights have a mind of their own here. Actually, they're going to put oh, me uh, out of focus at times. I think we've just discovered. Yeah, if you lean back, you actually go out of focus. So don't, <laughs> don't do that. Too much visual stimulus here. Anyway, Neil, the last time I saw you, we were in Malta. It was in the before times, we before COVID, <laughs> and you were telling me how you were going to. You're on the cusp. Of starting two pod, not one, two yeah. podcasts, and now you come to us today via, I think, a seven or eight year old iPad, uh, which is propped up against a plant in on on the kitchen table in your sitting room. It's true. Where is all the fancy equipment, and where I, the hell are these? Um, yeah, fantastic podcasts. Had long we enough. had a lovely, we had a lovely time in Malta, didn't we? I went to Malta. I did a thing that poker players never do: just go to another country and not play any poker. That's very unusual. In fact, I think it was the first time I'd done that for quite a number of years. And uh, I did, I had been toying with this idea about a couple of different ideas for podcasts. Yeah, because like there's not enough podcasts in the world. <laughs> People definitely need more podcasts. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess because I, you know, I have this thing with Sky Poker. There you go, get that in early. Um, and they has to be cut now sorry (laughs) (laughs) they they said to me ages ago quite predictably you know why aren't you doing this twitch streaming thing and uh i hated that idea i always hated that idea not 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 i've got anything against twitch streaming for people that do it you know some people are brilliant at it uh i just felt like it wasn't for me and uh it wasn't a direction i wanted to go in but I, i had sort of thought you know, and I, when you guys started the podcast, I thought that's so much a better idea. And then I didn't do anything about thinking about it. I sort of thought, oh, they're, they're doing a good job of that. I'll let them do that. Actually, but, I, don't uh, if you, I don't know if you remember this, Neil. Um, David, you might not remember either. But after our first season, we were looking for a sponsor to, to keep the show going. And Neil was actually one of the people we talked to. Neil Neil was going to try and pitch the idea to Sky and get Sky interested. So in another I did, universe, I did pitch it to them, and I was a firm believer that that was something they should have done. I think they made a mistake actually, but uh, I don't know. I guess they just sort of thought, 
why do we want to spend a load of money, really? But uh, Murdoch um, and Poe could have got a little taste of the GPI <laughs> best podcast ever awarded. Well, yeah, in see, other worlds, they can see how much goes on production values, you know, the Christmas decorations and stuff. But uh, <laughs> this but is our entire budget. We went on them. <laughs> Malta is lovely and I really like it and we did we sat down didn't we one afternoon and we, we talked about um I had this idea I wanted to do a political gambling podcast I felt like the combination of politics and gambling on politics was something that no one was doing um there has been a little bit of that material out in the run-up to the election obviously the American election was quite a sort of busy time for content um and I, but I guess now I'd be thinking, well, what the hell do we do with it now? Um, it's a bit of a quiet patch, maybe, for that mm. kind of thing. Um, the other one you well, mentioned it was also it was pre the last general election. I was so gloomy after it. I didn't really feel like <laughs> doing it after that. Well, I was going to say the other podcast idea you had was going to be you and Ralph Little just sort of doing a left wing propaganda thing, wasn't it? I was looking forward. Well, to that. I mean, that wasn't really my idea, Ralph. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 this is not a name-dropping thing. Just that uh, I dropped it, though. You dropped it. So I, I, no, I mean, I'm sure Ralph wouldn't mind me saying he he's doing a really nice podcast now with his old mate from the sitcom that they did together. Uh, but he had an idea to do a podcast, and he contacted me. I don't, I didn't know him at all. We, I, I followed him on Twitter, I think, and he may have followed me back. I don't know. Anyway, whatever. He contacted me and said, um, "Did I fancy giving him poker lessons?" which was quite a funny thing, really. Um, I sort of wonder why anyone would ask an old dinosaur like me. But I, I did actually, I ended up passing him on to Kevin Williams, um, who gave me the lessons. Well, I, I did like because him. I thought they'd, they'd get on quite well. And <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was funny. We ended, the three of us ended up having a few beers a couple of times. And um, I think Kevin gave him some lessons. But then he got the job in uh, doing the, you know, Death in Paradise thing. And now he's always flying around the world and his girlfriend lives in New York. So um, we, we don't really, um, we have, and COVID as well. That's kind of stopped us going down the pub. But it, it was funny because he said to me, I would, you know, do you know a good pub or whatever? And uh, I suggested a pub. I didn't know where he lived. And it was literally at the end of his road. Uh, that was a bit weird, given that London's quite a big place. But yeah, he wanted to do a podcast. Um, I don't know. I don't know if people ask me to do podcasts. Presumably they think because I talk a lot and that's a kind of a benefit if you're doing podcasts. I think you guys, are. you really taught me, particularly that day, about how much discipline and planning it takes. <laughs> that was probably why I haven't done it. I've got notes here. I, I write down copious notes about the guests mm. and, 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 and all the, the game tree of where the conversation might go so that we're prepared for any eventuality. And that's amazing. The game <laughs> tree. I like that. I listened to one the other day, actually. I can't remember who it was now. And I remember the guest was was really quite shocked at how much research you'd done, um, which I've heard them say a few times on your podcast. You do do a lot of deep research. What do you what, what facts do you know about me that nobody will know? Well, I, I, I we've had a conversation about this off camera, Neil. You know, I'm not supposed to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we got I'm you on. A, I, 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 I'm such an open book. It's impossible for either of you to know anything about me that isn't already out there. <laughs> Well, I do want to keep the Christmassy uh, theme going. Uh, yes. I'm the only one properly celebrating. Um, Dara, we've had a lot of Christmas parties over the years. Uh, I guess when we were staking, we used to do an annual firm Christmas gathering of all the lads oh, who staked. Oh, wow. That sounds brilliant, actually. I quite like that. 
it was really good. I, we used to put a lot of thought and effort into like buying presents, even if they were in loads of makeup, we still got them yeah. gifts. And uh, you know, well, Darren, when you say we, David, you mean you mean you? You used to put incredible effort. I mean, the problem was that like your idea of what a good gift was, and some of our horses was not. Like, you, you used to give them like little pieces of abstract art. So you were you had guys from like the Midlands in Ireland who'd never been outside their village and only played poker, and they were looking at this piece going like, "What is this? What does this do?" <laughs> this isn't even a lie. There was, a, there was an artist friend of mine and I got him to make bespoke one-off pieces for all these guys. Darren's like, these lads are from Drumlitch. They don't have <laughs> fucking a weird little glass thing. What the fuck are you doing? That's lovely. That's lovely. I, I mean, I, I don't think we... I don't actually think we did that with Black Belt. We, we probably... We never, we, I don't think we had a big Christmas party. But Christmas time in terms of poker... Whenever I think of Christmas time, I, I, I had a number of years where I would always go just before Christmas to Bellagio uh, for the what used to be called the Five Diamonds. Um, I don't think it's called that anymore, is it? But anyway, probably not happening anymore anyway for a while. But um, uh, yeah, that was always... I, I mean, I spent a lot of time in Vegas between sort of 2000 and 2006. Um, and... I mean, like 2005, I, I, I went there. I lived 16 weeks in the Bellagio, so in 2005. That's quite a lot, isn't it? I flew over and back eight times that year. Um, but the, that thing of kind of being in a hotel at Christmas, I, I didn't, I'd come back a few days before actual Christmas Day, but I'd spend like those first three weeks of December there. And uh, I mean, Vegas is a kind of, it's obviously, you know, it's Disney for adults, it's a wacky world. Uh, escape and make-believe and stuff but it's even more heightened at christmas time don't you think i always kind of feel like it's a very strange place to go i don't know the only thing i can remember when i'm looking back to it is uh when that tournament sort of ends a few days before christmas and you're down to the last few tables and everyone just sods off home and there's not much else going on um i remember i was playing one of the sort of dog end uh thousand tournaments and, and some bloke shouted across the room, or some bloke from Manchester shouted across the room to this guy from Liverpool, uh, are, you, uh, are you staying any more when you get knocked out of this, or are you going back? And he said, no, I've got to be back Thursday because that's me signing on day. Which I thought was, <laughs> I mean, it was a thousand pound tournament, thousand dollar tournament. <laughs> I did think that was quite good. But uh, no, I did used to, I used to like that, the idea that, uh, there was a guy who always got in the Christmassy mood. I used to play in the ten twenty game in the Bellagio a lot, and there was a guy who was a, like a jewelry salesman, and he was always trying to between hands he'd try and sell you know stock to uh, the other players uh, on the basis they'd want to give it to their missus for Christmas. And I always thought that was really funny because there were a couple of guys in the Vic that did exactly the same thing. Uh, but I know for a fact that the guys in the Vic had stolen all of their stock. Um, but like he was referred to, the guy in Vegas was referred to as the jeweler, whereas the guys in, in London were just referred to as, you know, Frank, you know, the thief, <laughs> basically. Yes. I, I often wondered whether the jeweler was a real jeweler or not. Um, I did actually talk about the, 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 the I mean, I don't, I don't want to bad mouth anybody that's no longer with us, but um, I, I don't think it's particularly bad, but I won't say his name just in case. Uh, so there was one guy that who sadly passed away, he was a great guy, and um, he was like a big Vic regular, 
And uh, I remember the run up to Christmas one year, he came into the Vic one day and we, we used to play a lot of Omaha in those days, it was probably uh, in the sort of 2000, 2001 or something. There was quite a big Omaha game going on and I was always involved in that. And um, the, the, there was a lady that used to play in the game called Diane. She was, uh, she, she was a kind of uh, sort of late 50s, early 60s, um, you know, quite respectable uh, guardian reader, really. Uh, and, you know, a bit unusual, really, to be in this quite aggressive and high stakes Omaha game. She was a bit too genteel for that, really. And uh, this guy came in one day, it was just before Christmas, and he said, uh, oh, he said, a funny thing happened yesterday. He said, uh, that Diane, she does make me laugh. He said, uh, it's not been going too well for me. And, um, you know, Christmas is coming up. So um, I, I, found myself, uh, I found myself out in a different part of London to normal, doing a bit of shopping. Uh, and I'm walking around the shop. And um, Diane suddenly is there in front of me. And he said, it's not an area of London I would ever normally be in. I was quite surprised to see someone I knew. And uh, she said, you know, oh, sorry, I have to say his name, otherwise it's ridiculous and keeps, I'm not saying. She said, uh, she said, Alan, lovely to see you. How are you? And he was like, oh, no, 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 don't say <laughs> my name or whatever. And uh, she said, what, what are you up to doing a bit of late night, late night Christmas shopping? And he said, no, actually, Diane, I'm out doing some shoplifting. Things have not been going too well. <laughs> and she just went, oh, Alan, you're so bohemian. <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was a big like that was quite a common thing. You'd go into the Vic. Uh, you know, around Christmas time, and people would always be offering to sell you stuff, you know, batteries or shaving, you know, razor blades or, um, you know, somebody told me scented candles is the thing these days. That's the, they're all top class shoplifters uh, because they're not like behind a case or anything like that. They're quite expensive, apparently. Not that I get a lot of scented candles. But uh, yeah, you, it was very unusual to sit in a game in those days without someone trying to sell you something. Um, I don't know, has that changed in poker, do you think? Not that anyone plays live anymore. Yeah, yeah, not this year. Well, though, you might, you might get emailed this year uh, from, from some of those regulars uh, asking if you want to buy something online. Uh, Dara, I have to ask you, I, I know you very kindly said that I had put a lot of effort into Christmas parties, which I did back in the day. <laughs> but uh, I have to say the best Christmas party we ever did was actually not organised by me at all. And I thought you might let us know about that one and why it was a special one as well, because it was kind of a, a special occasion wrapped into it. Yeah, well, I mean, we did most of our staking at the, in the first half of the, of the decade. And kind of by the middle of the decade, it, it had kind of fizzled out. We weren't really staking anymore. And as a result, I think we thought maybe 2014 would be our last Christmas party because, you know, the guys were all doing different things and everybody was everywhere. So uh, Gary Clark, who's one of the great characters of Irish poker. Very funny guy. Really funny guy. He, he was on to me and he, he he always wanted to sort of like show his face at these parties, just come in, in and say hi. He, he described himself as the original friend of the firm. So he was asking me about the party and I said, oh, well, we're not going to have one this year. <laughs> it's not really any point. And he was horrified. So he uh, he took it upon himself to organize the party. Um, oh, that's lovely. 
Yeah, and it, it was also the year when I had had my big result in Vegas when I came second in the WSOP. So it, he sort of turned it into a celebration. He had a he had a banner saying the year of the joke and uh, really, really nice affair. Um, oh, that sounds beautiful. I'm really touched by that already. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was a great night and uh, I, uh, I, I obviously had a great time because everybody was saying what a great year I'd had. So <laughs> music in my ears. And... Uh, we came to the end of the night and um, obviously one of the problems always with these Christmas parties is how do you get home afterwards? Because it's too late to get public transport anymore. <clears throat> Nobody's obviously driving. <clears throat> so you got to get a cab, but you're competing with every every single other person in Dublin who's also out. At All the other party. staking teams are having their <laughs> Christmas parties. Yeah, so I came out of the pub where we were and um, I walked the first cab rank and I just saw there was this enormous queue so I thought, okay, well, I'll walk to O'Connell Street. There's another cab rank there. Um, maybe that'll be shorter. Obviously, that one was even longer. So I, I sort of walked from rank to rank until I was about a third of the way home. And I decided now, you know, 33% is the, is, is the pot commitment point generally. I so I, I, right. I figured I was, I was walk committed now. So I decided, okay, well, there are no more cab ranks, but there's basically my chance of getting a cab or stay anyway. So I'll just keep walking. Now I should point out, I wasn't really dressed for the occasion. Um, maybe our editor would be able to put up a picture, but I was basically just wearing like a normal jacket, no coat, uh, norm, normal uh, suit pants and jacket. So I'm walking through the Phoenix Park in pitch darkness and it's freezing, obviously. And uh, it starts to snow. And now my phone is dead, so I can't even try and ring somebody or ring home. Uh, so I'm, I'm walking along in the snow in this uh, fairly flimsy jacket. And I decide this is not good. I'm still a good hour away from home, maybe an hour and a half. Uh, I mean, this is basically a four hour walk we're talking about so, from, from start to finish. So I, um, I, I decided, okay, I'll take a shortcut. the void recently. This is bringing a lot of it back. <laughs> I mean, this is the, the this was just a, are crawling along the ground. <laughs> yeah, this was this was one decision or actually like a series of bad snow, decisions. Like a hole in the like a kind of a igloo bed thing, you know. So okay, so I come out of the Phoenix Park and I decide, okay, well, I, I'm going to take a shortcut now. The only shortcut to my house is from the Phoenix Park is along the canal. Uh, so I come off the road and I walk along the canal. The only problem is there's no lights. It's not it's not a place people oh are supposed my to walk. God. At night, and also no footpath at the time. So I'm literally walking through mud in the snow, in the pitch dark beside a canal, very, very drunk. <laughs> not a, definitely not a good situation to be in. Um, but I do eventually get home uh, at four o'clock in the morning or whatever. And uh, I'm trying to get in, and then my wife opens the door. She's obviously rigid with fear. She can't understand what's taking me so long. She looks <laughs> at me, I'm literally covered in mud because I've been walking through the, along the Model Canal. Um, I mean, it's to her credit that she just kind of, she just kind of shrugged her shoulders and thought, well, this is pretty normal for him. <laughs> there was, I didn't even have to explain what had happened. It was obviously something, something uh, that normally happens to me had happened. But yeah, that was basically the four hour walk home through the snow, drunk from, the, from that Christmas party. <laughs> I well, like a nice long walk home in the bad weather though. Like if I, if I ever, uh, you know, had a long session where I felt like I'd really messed up a big pot. 
This was 20 miles though, Neil. This was 20 miles, this walk. I did. I used to live eight miles away from the Vic for a few years. <laughs> and I, I would walk home, yeah, twice a month probably, especially if it was raining. Like really punish myself. I, I we, Actually, I remember we did used to have Christmas parties in the Vic years ago. Um, they, they, um, they used to kind of do a kind of big Christmas dinner. Um, and there was like sort of four early December sessions where the regulars in the poker room got, you know, a free dinner and everybody got to sit down together with all those people that you hated and that you'd been trying to send them skint for the rest of the year. Suddenly you had <laughs> all this poem of me and everything like that. I always found it quite amusing in that respect. But um, I guess probably in about, yeah, about 2001 or something like that, um, it became a real regular thing. I mean, it, I was, what was I then, about 34 or something like that. I was in the kind of top 10 youngest regulars. I mean, that's the way poker was then. So, I mean, there was definitely more than six people that referred to me routinely as kid, even though I was 30, 30 odd. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say there was probably eight people that were under 40 that came in more than three times a week to play poker. Um, and we just used to sit down the, the, the young guys, as it were, and have Christmas dinner together. Um, and then we'd normally, you know, get a bit drunk and uh, sit in a game, but against each other. We try and have a, you know, game just between each other and, and mess around a bit more. Um, yeah, I miss that actually. We, that was a kind of a, definitely a big part of the build up to Christmas. I don't, you're not allowed to talk about Woody Allen anymore, are you? It's all, he's a kind of, you know, struck off from all polite society. But I was always a big fan of um, the Woody Allen film, uh, Broadway, Danny Rose. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Um, that, that's, that is literally one of my favorite Woody Allen films and most people haven't heard film. it. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, but it's I was, a beautiful You know, film, the yeah. frozen, uh, for people that haven't watched it, he's a theatrical agent and a less than successful theatrical agent. <laughs> and um, his clients are, you know, the, the one-armed xylophone player and, you know, various terrible acts. And uh, he gets them round to his house for Thanksgiving. It's actually Thanksgiving, I think, not Christmas. Uh, and they have frozen turkey dinners, you know, that come on a kind of plastic tray. And I sort of, I always used to kind of think there was quite a lot of people that I played poker with regularly, where if we got them together on Christmas Day, that would be what it would look like. That they <laughs> definitely were at home having a tin of cold baked beans. Um, and the fact that, you know, I, I, I did go to the Vic a few times keep, on keep Christmas it, Eve. Keep it light, Neil. Keep it light. <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I did used to sometimes go to the Vic on Christmas Eve and, and you know, sort of leave at about 10 o'clock. But uh, I, I definitely sort of thought that was slightly a weird thing to do. And that okay, before Neil really... starts telling the story of all the puppies that have to go in a plastic bag at the end, of... <laughs> I, I, I'm going to get back to you, Dara. Did um, you did you guys ever did you guys ever like play poker like literally on the big days though? Like obviously the casinos not open on Christmas Day, but like Christmas Eve or do you do you ever kind of do you play? Well, yeah, tell, that's where I was going or... actually. Dara is Dara's a grinder. Dara does um, Christmas Eve as your kind of big night because it's kind of a French thing. Your wife's online, friend. and then yeah. Dara's grinding all Christmas Day. 
Yeah, I've never played live on Christmas, but I've pretty much every Christmas day I've played online. And it's actually one of the best days to play online because uh, there tend to be overlays. Every other reg in the world has <laughs> taking the day off. And there's a lot of drunk, tilted people who've obviously, their Christmas isn't going great, so they fired up. So yeah, it, it is actually one of the, the prize pools tend to be obviously small because the numbers aren't great, but that often means there's overlays and very, very tilted fields. Um, yeah, I mean, I, my wife is French, so actually Christmas is not big for us at all. New Year's is much Yeah, you, you have dinner in the evening on the 24th, yeah. That's that's right, there and that's when the presents are given out as well. Um, and then we just kind of ignore Christmas Day, uh, and we wait for New Year's Eve, and that's a, that's a really big deal. Um, but yeah, Christmas Day, I strongly recommend playing if you have nothing else to do. It does when, feel when, a little bit weird, but... Um, when, when I had Black Belt Poker, we used to have like a sort of £10 tournament on Christmas afternoon for people that you know and that was actually that was a bit you know good for people that were a bit lonely and fed up and we had a community feel to it and people definitely liked that we'd get like 30 or 40 people you know wanting to hang out together on christmas day i thought it was nice it was nice yeah. no judgment like but you do end up with your family for quite a lot of time over christmas so it's lovely when you do get to have a sneaky couple of hours with your friends whether it's by phone or as you said, like firing up a 10 quid sit and go, I hope people uh, don't don't feel too much shame in doing something like that. Exactly really good. If, that, if, if poker's your thing, that's exactly what you should be doing. I even heard uh, Joey Ingram uh, about a month ago talking about how he was doing, I don't think he did it in the end, but a Thanksgiving stream where he just thought, oh, well, my community out there, there might be some people who you know don't have family or whatever. Mm. This year in particular with no one that really should be traveling. I know some people did travel, but no one should have been traveling whether they would, um, uh, you know, be, be doing a Thanksgiving kind of on their own or, 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 or with fewer people than normal. And he thought, well, maybe I'll do like a two-hour eat-your-dinner-with-me stream. That's absolutely, I think that's brilliant. I like the Sarah Millican thing that she does at Christmas for people that are sad and on their own, you know, on Twitter. That's a, things like that are really good, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think because of poker being such a kind of predatory thing where you're basically looking to, you know, kill the other person or not literally but you know kill their bankroll um i always found it kind of funny that we'd all it was like it was kind of like the first world war and the trenches and stuff like suddenly we'd all come out and have this christmas (laughs) dinner and then we'd somebody would say right are we gonna get a game going (laughs) we'd all be like you know patting each other on the back and raising a glass and then the next minute it was like all right i'm gonna send you skin Um, well, actually, Neil, you mentioned there a moment ago that uh, I guess you being 34 made you one of the youngest in the card room back then. Mm. And poker has changed an awful lot, although I feel like it's both changed and now sort of changing back again in the last few years. It feels like right after when you described was the boom and there was probably lots of 21 year olds coming through. And that's very much been, I wouldn't say my generation, maybe Dara and my generation of when we started playing, but obviously we're a bit older. Um, but like definitely all of the guys we knew who were 21, 23 coming through, they're all in their early 30s now. But it feels like in the last few years, not too much young blood has come into the game. And maybe we're going to eventually, another few years from now, be back where you described. What have you kind of noticed through your 20 odd years playing poker <laughs> in terms of how it's changed? It's so funny because I, I think I've been through all of the milestones. Like I, I remember... The first time I ever went to the World Series, and I'd, I'd been to, well, I mean, yeah, just like going back to like, when I very first started playing, 
you know, I would go to Reading, even though I lived in Tooting at the time. I, it was quicker to jump on the motorway and drive to Reading than get into the West End and Park and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and I, I used to, um, I used to play there. And like Simon Trumper was like one of the kind of big name players in the five pound rebuy tournaments. Um, and then like just a f quite a few years later, I suppose he, he turned up, you know, on late night poker. Um, so yeah, I kind of, that was a bit funny. There was a couple of people that played in those games that ended up being on TV, but then I, I kind of started going to Vegas in the sort of early nineties. But the first time I went to the World Series was 97 and um, Ed Norton and uh, ben, Amf ben Affleck uh, were getting ready to do rounders and uh, they thought they'd hang around the World Series and kind of speak to a lot of people and try and, you know, immerse themselves in the whole thing. Uh, and I played, I, for some reason, I got to play in the media tournament. Um, a friend of mine was genuinely in the media and he managed to get me into it um and they played in it and you know so i definitely remember pre-rounders i do remember that actually roland uh, i was on a table with roland once and eric seidel sat down on the table and uh i always a bit daunted when eric seidel's on the table i don't know about you two if you've played with him before but um he's definitely someone that i sort of always a bit scared i'm going to do something stupid and also just kind of keen to have a chat with him, but terrified that I can't think of anything much to say, which is unusual for me. Um, but uh, yeah, Roland said to him, were you like me? Did you, did you get into poker because of rounders? Which I thought was quite a funny joke. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, no, I do remember that. And that was, that was a thing that slightly changed it. Um, you know, there was a time in London where um, in the sort of mid to late 90s where the, 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 the dungeon, as they called it, was the card room in the basement of the Stackis Casino in Russell Square. And they, they had been having tournaments from the sort of mid to late 90s with 40 or 50 people every weeknight. And then they suddenly, the, the boss of the casino, or the boss of the chain suddenly said, we're not going to do poker anymore. It's not worth it. It's a dying game. Um, and they basically turned the, the card room into a slot parlor. And three weeks later, rounders came out. And about two, two years after that late night poker started, and they had to change it back again uh, because, you know, people were demanding it. So I guess, I, you know, I was going to casinos at a time where people said it's a dead game, nothing Nobody wants to play it. It's just for, you know, old codgers. And, um, you know, I went, I went to casinos when people were playing Ma Yong and it was considered to be a similar thing. The Ma Yong was a thing that got a lot of the Chinese punters to come. And they sort of felt like the casino sort of felt like, well, we have to put it on. But we don't, you know, we just want to get them in the door and hopefully they go and play the casino games. And that was the same with poker. They didn't sort of see it as a thing on its own. Uh, and then suddenly... You know, I guess rounders made it quite cool. I went to the, um, I, got a, I got a letter from Late Night Poker saying, do you want to play in the first series? Uh, and I looked at it and thought, no, why would I want to do that? It's like, it's 1,500 pounds. They get to see, no, no one's paying me to go. I'm making a TV program for somebody else. 
they're going to see how I play. Like, that sounds awful. I can't think of any advantages. I mean, it's so stupid, really, because there were loads of advantages, actually, if you thought about it. But um, I just ignored it and didn't go. And then they did, I think it was the seventh series before I actually played on it. Um, but it meant that I was a bit, always felt a little bit like I, I was away from those people. You know, the, you, you, you obviously know that there's a, definitely in poker, you, you feel like there's a hierarchy and you know where you kind of fit in. And there are certain people like Eric Seidel, like if he comes to your table, you know you're below him on the hierarchy. And some people will say, well, I'll only really speak to him if he speaks to me. Other people will kind of natter to him in an excited way because he's a big megastar in poker. But you definitely, every player that's being honest will, will appreciate that, you know, they know where they are on the hierarchy. And I, I definitely felt below Eric Seidel, but I def, definitely with the late night poker thing, even though, you know, when you watch it back, most of those people were useless at poker. Uh, the fact that they played on TV uh, made me think, God, you know, they're like super good, really. Um, so I, I do kind of think that was a that was a sort of a real kind of thing for me. I struggled with, and then um, I went madly. Really, I was playing sort of five hundred pound tournaments, hundred pound tournaments, late nineties, and suddenly they, this thing, the Poker Million, came up. And you could go to the Isle of Man and play for six thousand pounds, and you could win a million. So I just said, "Yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah, I'll go and do that." Like I think the biggest tournament I ever played was five hundred before that. So yeah, five hundred up to six thousand. I mean, I don't know what that is in today's <laughs> money. It was nineteen ninety nine, and that's probably twenty five thousand, twenty thousand. Um, so yeah, I went to play that, and um, I got on to Phil Helmuth's table, and we finished the day, and weirdly you know being Phil Helmuth he he was bugged about a hand where I'd bluffed him about six hours earlier and he wanted to ask me what I had in it uh which I lied to him about I didn't tell him I'd bluffed him but um he, he said to me what did you have and I said I I, I, I think I'd four bet him with eight nine offsuit and uh he said to me he had queens and he'd folded and I said well Phil you know there were only three possible hands that I could have to play the hand the way I played it. And, um, you know, you had queens, so I think you can pretty much work out what hand I had. And he went, yes, I thought so. I thought so. Of course he did. Uh, anyway, uh, I, the, 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 while I was having that conversation with him, the TV came on and the first ever episode of Late Night Poker came on the TV for the first time. And um, so I definitely remember the start of late night poker. And that to me was the big changing point in poker because suddenly, um, you know, the games in London, I, I, you couldn't get a Hold'em game. I'd go to play Hold'em. I liked playing Hold'em and they wanted to play Omaha or seven card stud, pot limit seven card stud. Um, so that was a massive transition really in London that you, you could now go and play Hold'em four or five times a week. Whereas before that, uh, you know, you might get a game once a month or something like that. Um, so that, that was a big thing. And then, yeah, I think Moneymaker was a lesser thing at the time because that was 2003. Chris Moneymaker won the World Series and he'd won his seat on, on Stars and, you know, he'd qualified uh, through a satellite. 
that was a huge thing in America, not least because they had a they had a uh, ice hockey strike that year. And ESPN2 didn't have anything to show because they used to show ice hockey all the time. So they just kept repeating Chris Moneymaker's victory over and over and over. Like it was about 20 hours of TV and it must have shown it a hundred times that year. Um, but I think it didn't really kick in in the UK until a couple of years later, the whole sort of internet surge. Yeah. Although in America, it, it was very much in 2003, four. I think over here, it didn't really happen until five, six. But I... I I definitely can remember, you know, each of those stages and basically all that happened in each of them was the games just got better and better. Like that. And it, for me personally, I, you know, I never thought I was a particularly brilliant poker player ever. I still don't think I have ever been that good at poker, but I definitely felt like I can beat this game and it's the best use of my time. And I've got to get as much money out of it as I possibly mm -hmm. can because it can't last. And the reason I thought that was always because I'd seen what it was like before with card rooms closing and slot machines coming in and whatever. And I, I, I always just thought, this is a gimmick. It's gonna not, you know, it's not gonna last. Which was weird because I, it, meant, it ended up with me, you know, like 2006, I think I played 324, 14 hour sessions. Wow. I just never left the house. I never left the casino, I the house casino, and home, I, I used to eat three meals a day in the casino, uh, never do anything else. Uh, if I went, you know, the, the other 40 days, I went to Vegas. I, I had about three days off a year. Um, so I, I, I definitely feel like, I mean, I probably got that wrong because poker's still around and people are still enjoying it and people are still winning. Uh, it's definitely got harder. I, I was also never a person who, I don't think I was ever a person that sort of went, these internet people are so stupid. Um, <clears throat> I do remember very clearly, I played with Chris Mormon quite a bit um, at the World Series. Which is, you know, those things where you play a series of tournaments and the same guy always ends up on your table. Like that, that mm. and it, obviously it's one of those, it's like bad beats, isn't it? It's one of those tricks of the memory. You think, well, this is weird, but of course it, you know, it could be any that's, of well, that's true randomness, people yeah. that happens to be on your table. But yeah. anyway, this particular year, it was always Chris Borman. I must have played 40 tournaments. He was on my starting table like seven times. Um, and um, I just watched him getting knocked out in really stupid ways. But my reaction wasn't to say these internet players are stupid. It was just that I didn't feel like, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful to Chris because I think he's a really smart player, but I just felt like he was taking quite a while to get the difference between playing online and coming to the World Series and playing against live players. In a way, he was being a bit too clever. He always kind of thought that they had a three-bet range that was much wider than it was. Mm. So he had a much wider four-bet range than was going to be profitable in that situation now probably online at that time that was very reasonable but the, the live game was still quite a long way behind well you know i mean the, you would go to the world series and yeah there were plenty of people on your table that would never three bet unless they had ace queen or better and uh, mm -hmm. and he kept on getting knocked out four betting those people with uh, with with you know average hands but i i i, I definitely always felt like when these guys crack it, that's the end of it for me. I'll be ruined. I won't be able to do this anymore. Um, 
which was again there was another reason why I sort of felt like I should cram in as much as possible. Picking up on something you said there, Neil, mm. uh, I'll put this to Dara, actually. We spoke about this a few weeks ago on a show with Berkey, and, and Neil sort of brought it up again, which is this notion of poker, or actually I can't remember the Chinese game you, you said there a moment Mo ago. Mo Young. Being the sort of way to get people in. I remember Berkey referred to it as a funnel. It was like, well, what the big bookies, what the big kind of super merged betting companies are doing now is they're sort of looking at their overall client list, their overall email list, all the people who, who play on their site and they think, well, poker's like maybe 3% or 4% if you're lucky or maybe it's 1% or 2%, whatever it happens to be. And they're thinking, well, it's really good to get people in because actually those same people do their money then on maybe some casino stuff, some sports betting stuff. And that takes the onus off creating a profit model around poker. And we saw that with a, a few companies on the way up, whether they would view their live component like a Trojan horse. And then once they got you online, they'd get the money out of you. Or indeed this model where it's like, get them in for poker. I think in a way this year, more than any other year, pandemic as we've been all in our homes for you know 10 months, feels like poker's value to these companies has grown not just because they've clearly made more money in these little booms we had during lockdown mm. but because it seems not just pandemic proof but actually better in a pandemic than well obviously when there's no sports to bet on so with that in mind Daryl, like how do you feel strategy wise the kind of the the bosses in these companies should be thinking about poker going forward should they be trying to make money off it on its own or should they be trying to maybe break even on it but use it as a, as a way to get people in the door I think the reality is that even if it were more sensible to, 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 to view it as a customer acquisition tool, that will never be the case. It's always the case with cor in corporations that once you have divisions, every division just cares about itself and its own profitability. And they want to go to the board at the end of the year and say, we made X amount and they really don't care about the other divisions. In fact, if anything, they want the other divisions to fail because they want their division to look better. Um, my uncle was a politician and he used to say that the only politician you had to be really careful about was your running mate because he was the only person who could take your job <laughs> so in theory they were on the same team in theory he was supposed to be helping him get elected but actually he was the guy that he really didn't want to get elected he he, he, he wanted to remain top dog it's the same mentality in companies every division looks after itself every division wants to look good in comparison to the other divisions so the reality is poker will always want to make money and that's why the poker industry has gone along the way it was there might have been an overall view from you know very forward thinking uh poker people like is i scheinberg at the start that we'll use live poker tournaments as um loss leaders but very quickly the corporate mechanism kicks in and now they have to make money and i think it's always going to be the same for poker it's been a very good year for poker because, as you say, it looks really good in comparison to all the other stuff now. It has proven to be pandemic proof, which the other industries haven't. Um, it's been also proven that it's possible to get people back playing online. A lot of people who haven't played online for years have come back this year and played. And the, 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 they scrambled a bit at the start. They didn't really know what to do or how to appeal to these players. Um, a lot of them have, have done good stuff, uh, you know, party using real names which is something live players like party banning huds another thing uh live players like so they've sort of thought about how to cater for live players they've also run series which again is the, is very much the live model the online model is you play the same tournaments every night and you get in enough volume uh 
to make your money over the year. The live model is you aim at a few big festivals a year and uh, you try and satellite in, in, in the rest of the time. And I think the online operators have realized that that's how to appeal to those type of players. Yeah, and I think the home game market, which I know I've championed a few times now over the course of these shows, has shown uh, itself to be a reasonably good acquisition tool as well, as people have been sort of sitting around, maybe a bit scared to jump into the, the regular tournaments, maybe do have that image of, oh, all the sharks will come get me now, why would I even bother? But if they can jump into what is essentially a kitchen table game with their mates, and of course on Unibet they can do that rake free, it's actually a fairly friendly uh, way in. I'm interested by your thoughts there, though, Derek, because you're obviously sort of suggesting that in the end um, internal reasons within companies will, will will ultimately make them compete against one another or at least you know have to wipe their wipe their feet if you like and um, they're going to have to sort of make a decent bit of money i know from conversations with kat arnsby uh, kat arnsby about that unibet but particularly in her previous job actually where she used to battle for the value of a customer who came in through poker if they did do money in the other things, her kind of saying, well, that's my customer, you see, like I, I got that guy in the door. So it's not fair for you to kind of view, oh, will he play two 10 quid, you know, MTTs every night? We get two quid off him every day. That's not that huge a customer, frankly. Um, whereas, you know, the same guy goes to the roulette machine and loses a hundred quid twice a week or whatever he did. And she's like, well, that's still, that should count for me at some level. She felt like that was part and parcel of her customer acquisition and what she had contributed and, and and getting the the sites to measure that appropriately was actually a big part of her previous job and i don't know within unibet she may believe that she's on a similar mission i don't know i know that's something she cares about any uh, views on this one neil before we move on well there's a couple of things first of all i think you're right i was, I was talking to somebody at sky and they were saying uh you know, not only have they had a really good year which i'm sure all poker companies have but yeah, they were sort of saying, oh, it's like the best year for seven years, uh, which I, I thought was, you know, yeah, it seemed reasonable. I would have, I might have even guessed longer ago than that. I mean, it, but, it, you know, it's interesting to think about when you think the sort of poker boom time kind of started to slip away a little bit. And maybe maybe 2013 is a good guess at that. But also they were saying, oh, yeah, lots of older signups uh, and that. You know, maybe quite a lot of people that have sort of, uh, you know, maybe said, oh, I'm not too sure about this online. I don't enjoy it so much. But I bumped into a guy in the street the other day, actually. Um, I was obviously doing some essential shopping. Um, and uh, he's he's an old Vic regular, you know, and he's in his 70s and uh, lives around the corner. And um, I haven't seen him for ages, actually. And he said to me, yeah, I don't really like this online poker, but I've been playing. You know, because he misses going into the week and like, yeah. you know, what else is he going to do? You know, and I think a lot of people are sort of bitten the bullet that, that wouldn't necessarily do it before. The other thing I've, I was thinking while you were talking was about Jack Binion, because, um, you know, back in the early days of the World Series, uh, he was very visionary and that he always sort of said, well, you know, you give the poker players, you know, a really good quality buffet that's free. If they play in the tournament, the main, you know, there was only one World Series event each day uh, and they'd all stop for dinner and have this buffet. And it, it, he'd really throw money at that and make it decent. And he'd give people money off their room and everything like that, because he appreciated that if you get them into your casino and fill it up, 
they're, they're going to do their money, you know, some other way. Uh, maybe they'll play blackjack or roulette if they go on tilt from the poker. Um, and I think you're right. I think casinos don't really think that way anymore. And Vegas, is, Vegas generally has changed away from that, hasn't it? You know, it used to be that Vegas was a really good value place to go on holiday if you didn't gamble at all because, you know, a lot of the food was subsidised. It was a lot of happy hour drinking. And, you know, there were loads of things that were free entertainment they've kind of taken away from that because every department has to be um, individually making money. And yeah, I you even pay for parking now, which was never a thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think I definitely agree with you about the, you know, I've seen that uh, with a couple of companies where I've suggested, with Sky, you know, originally when I first started with them, I sort of suggested to them, uh, you know, you could sort of do a, a, some kind of tournament based around the scores on the football on a Saturday and you you know that could be a good cross-selling opportunity with football betting uh and they were just like yeah we don't want to lose our poker people to football and the football people were like yeah whatever we're not really interested in promoting poker uh and yeah everyone wants to, because everyone's looking after their job aren't they at the end of yeah. the day yeah. yeah well guys it has been a long year it's been a sort of a weird year darren and i do get the opportunity to sort of talk about our experiences of this year mostly been at home obviously neither one of us has traveled uh, I, I did leave the island to go to gozo once uh, here in malta but i've pretty much just, you know stayed put i probably haven't left a, a two mile radius dara you run circles around the park so it's not even like when you do a 25 mile 30 mile run you're running 30 miles away so you're, you're, you're staying pretty put as well but when you look back on this year now there was something you said a few shows ago where you were like well there's a balance point like initially when we were locked down you thought well i this will be fine for me. And I know in the early days, you didn't really notice a difference because online is what you probably prefer to do over, over the two forms of poker. But you have said to me recently in the last maybe month or two more and more, oh, I am missing a little sprinkle of that for the, for the social reasons, if for no other. Can you expound on that? Yeah, it is purely for the social reasons. Um, like there, there was definitely a point where I was traveling far too much and I sort of had it in my head. I just want to knock this all on the head. Um, I'm going to quit live poker and just become an online poker player, which is essentially what I was for the first year or two, largely of my career. After that, life started to become bigger. Um, I, what I have kind of realized is that the the um, the novelty of being at home and being able to play online every day wore off fairly quickly, and I started thinking, well. I, I mean, I think we, we spoke about this years ago, and I think we decided that sort of the ideal is maybe one trip a month or one trip every six weeks, um, mm. just gets you out of the house, breaks up the monotony. I, I was talking to Jack Hardcastle about this recently, too. And I mean, Jack's a young lad, and he's primarily an online player, but he, he, he said that he's actually struggling for motivation to play online now because he used to use the live trips as motivation. Well, I've got a live trip coming up, so I'll go hard online and then I'll have my live break and I'll come back. And I'll, I'll go again. Now every day is just kind of the same. So he 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 doesn't feel the same impetus, and there's this sort of um, aimlessness, I guess, of the current situation that we're that, that we find ourselves in. Yeah. So I'm definitely looking forward to live poker coming back. I I'm not that optimistic it's going to be anytime soon. I mean, Dr. Fauci said probably next winter is when we can look to things going back to reasonably well to normal so i think maybe a year from now um sort of slip back into my old life i hope but mm -hmm. um until then yeah i'm just gonna have to make the best of it i guess 
Yeah, without doing any leaky lapping stuff, uh, you know, we've made no formal, uh, or at least at the time of recording, we've made no formal decision at uni about what we're going to do about live last year. Obviously, we were the first to decide to cancel. Sorry, I shouldn't use the word cancel because we didn't cancel it. We moved it all online to the digital platform. That's the appropriate thing to say. Um, <laughs> no cancel events at uni, but we, we moved them across to our very... Uh, Nobody cancels events. Crew. That's, that's... Um, in fact, the WSOP, not only did they not cancel, but they, uh, they, 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 they doubled, doubled it. <laughs> exactly. So we haven't made a, as I said at the time of recording, a, a formal decision on next year. But I know from just chats internally, it's definitely the second half of the year that they're looking more positively at. They're not looking particularly positively at all at the first half of the year, which I think is right. And exactly what you said, Dara. You know, it's, it's not like vaccine cavalries coming are going to really manifest until the spring at best, and 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 even then, it's it's not as clear cut or as simple um, as some might think. So. Look, interesting. I have to say, I, I share your view. I, I am going for a live event uh, and, and it is mostly to do with social. I think I'm probably quite extrovert overall. And I and I probably, from little times during this year, I found it tougher. Sometimes it's okay, but it, is, it isn't easy to sort of uh, feel like the, the, the walls are, are coming in and there isn't that much novelty or newness in your life. Neil, how are you finding it? Is it, is it, is it okay? I mean, my gambling career has transitioned so many times, you know. I mean, when I originally started, it was going to the horse races every single day. Uh, so I, I guess I've, I, you know, in that I've already done, I, I mean, I haven't been horse racing to a course since, I don't know, 2005, I think maybe. Uh, so I kind of essentially went from being a kind of live player on horses to an online player. Um, so doing that for poker shouldn't really be that difficult. I, I, I kind of think of myself, I don't really call myself a poker player these days. I mean, I'm somebody that gambles every day and some of that gambling is poker. Um, I've probably played more online this year uh, in a more disciplined way. Like I've sort of said, right, I'm going to play, you know, Tuesday, Friday and Sunday this week. And I've stuck to that and I've made sure I do it. Whereas like in past years i'd be like yeah i'll just play the nights that i fancy it and it kind of depends whether i've been winning on the horses if i've been winning a lot on the horses then it feels a bit pointless playing online in the evening and if i've been doing my absolute nuts on the horses it equally feels a bit pointless. <laughs> so i only play on the days where i've been kind of having a break even day and i feel like i want to at least win or band lose of outcomes yeah, yeah exactly. that, that reminds me of my first big friend did poker rob taylor uh rob, rob had this mentality it, his monday was really important because if he won big on a monday he'd say okay well i can take the week off now i've made enough money for the week and if he <laughs> lost big he would say oh i have to take the rest of the week off to clear my head so basically <laughs> he only played on tuesdays when he was kind of break even <laughs> i can't remember the guy's name now he, he's a he's an irish guy that you'll know but there was a guy that used to come in the game sometimes he used to come over to london and play sometimes and he revealed once um he showed us his book with his his session results written down and somebody said well it's just not credible like you it it looks like you never lose and he said no i only I don't put the big losing ones in the book uh, because it just demoralizes you and it's not, it doesn't help you in the long run. <laughs> Good for him. Um, well, final question, no, please. I, 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 I mean, it obviously has not been totally easy, but I think as you, you, you're a young man, you know, 
um, I, I think as you me? get older, yeah, <laughs> as you get older, like the, the, the prospect of, uh, you know, the worst thing anyone could do is invite you to a social event on a Friday night. <laughs> like you know, you, when when you're younger, like having nothing to do on a Friday night is an absolute disaster. When you're older, it's the best thing ever. Uh, you could just like you know, oh great, I can catch up on that series I've been watching, or you know, have a nice bit of takeaway and some wine, or get into you know, the bar. Or play online poker. And it's it's perfect. Get those scented, that, get those scented candles out that I bought off your man. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Help the help the poker economy. Um, no, I don't, I don't. I mean, I haven't. I can't say I've been doing any, you know, dire long distance running. But I have. I have made the effort to do a few steps every day. I've been getting getting my walking up a bit. You know, that's about as good as I can do. I do. If I try and do like twelve thousand a day, that's that's not a bad start, really. But I've I've done all the cliched stuff of putting on weight and drinking too much during lockdown. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm on my uh, hot rum for, uh, or not hot rum, sorry, hot port for Christmas. So uh, well, that's Christmas. You're just doing I'm a doing Christmas that, yeah. thing. <laughs> well, okay, final question. It has to be quick because I'm very conscious of your time, Neil. Oh, okay. Uh, New Year's resolutions. You go first. Oh, Jesus. I hadn't even thought of that. I, 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 I hardly ever make them. I used to make gambling ones. And they were always things like, you know, do less multiple bets and more singles and stuff. When I was, like, first <laughs> in gambling... Because you know multiple bets were considered to be muggy, but if you if you if you're having a plus EV bet, multiple bets are brilliant. You should do more of them. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I definitely I tell you I did something this year. The transition between the flat season and the jump season is the worst time to bet on the horses ever. And I know that every single year, but there's this cusp period in sort of late September, early October, and I can never resist it, even though I know that my figures over the years tell me that it's just a no-no uh, and I should just bet much smaller or not at all in that time. And I actually did it this year. So maybe I should make it, make it, and I, I would have done my nuts as well. So maybe I should uh, make a resolution to do that for next year and to stick to it every year. And you were going to get a quintessentially niche answer there. Dara, you have a go now. Yeah, my, my answer is pretty niche too. My, uh, my New Year's resolutions are always based around uh, online poker and they're always pretty much the same. Uh, be more disciplined in the games that I register. Uh, don't register too many games. My my um, my performance drops off fairly rapidly once I go above twelve tables, and yet almost every session I go above twelve tables at some have point. You, have you ever like got proper figures on that? Like where like the time at which you register, or you know, if you play tournament, if you only played the tournaments early in your session and never the late registered tournaments, not not where you register late. For the tournament, I don't mean like where you wait until it's been running an hour before you register. I mean the ones where I don't know you don't you start at eleven p.m. or whatever. Uh, if you knock those on the head, would you be better? Have you measured it like that? I've never actually measured because I mean obviously the variance is such that you you know you could just run well in a, in a couple of early tournaments. But I do I like I do know that there's a sort of a sweet spot around eight tables where I'm very very conscious of every single thing that's happening on every table. Um, I go above that. I, I, I play a little, I just play a bit more automatically, but I go above 12 tables and then I actually start to time out or misclick. And, uh, 
you know whether whether it works out or not like sometimes a misclick works out like yesterday i timed out with kings uh, and i would have run into aces so <laughs> can't really go I, I can't really judge off results if i've been playing better i would have bust that tournament um instead of coming fifth uh so um but yeah i, I judge it basically just on sort of stuff like how how i know i'm playing how much information i'm taking in and that definitely does degrade uh, as i add more tables it used to be a lot easier because uh when when all the sites allowed huds um i just worked off the hud stats and i could 16 and 20 tables fairly comfortably now more and more the sites don't allow huds so i have to uh, actually pay attention and that's that's basically the point where uh, <laughs> that's what's have, doomed you having to actually concentrate yeah absolutely like people used to ask me about hands and they'd say oh this hand and you know I, I could even play a hand against david online and i wouldn't realize that it was david because i'm not looking at that part of the screen which shows just a the collection screen name of numbers or even the avatar i am literally just looking at the numbers on the hood going oh this this guy's a real calling station so i'm not going to <laughs> he was kids. there with his christmas hat and you can see that <laughs> This guy's playing like a drunk. Look at those. Look, he's got a V-pip of 74. He's had a half a bottle of port, I think, at this stage. Okay, guys, listen, thank you so, so much. We're going to wrap it up there. I have to say a huge thank you, uh, Neil. Or would, I'm kind of sad now thinking that, you know, maybe in the parallel universe, we'd be colleagues right now. But uh, it is always wonderful uh, to have uh, you on uh, your... A, uh, a great there's still uh, time for the there's still time for you guys to cross over come and Maybe. come and join the flutter empire <laughs> that's it well you are an ambassador of the game and a great raconteur for that we thank you so much neil channing and darrow carney who's probably playing poker now it sounds like poor tabling already yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys cheers thanks <laughs>